0: Oh, well, good morning again. Let me welcome you to church this morning. Let me say you've picked a really good morning to come to church. Every morning is a good morning to come to church. But this morning's a particularly good morning to come to church. Um, I'll explain this in a wee second. I'm going to hand round a box of sweeties. And just to save time, I will be, I'll explain why I'm handing round a box of sweeties. Uh, in a wee second. So, just take one and then pass it on, okay? So, I would reckon down the side, do this side first, pass it across the aisle and then back. So, it should kind of end up with Jeremy, okay, and with TJ, okay? And let me just remind you, Scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. So, make sure you get one, okay? Don't be shy, there should be plenty for everybody, because I factored in the fact we would have a quest team this morning. Why am I doing this? Well, just before we get to the message this morning, um, we've made reference to the fact there are so many young people here this morning. When I was young, and yes, there was a day (laughs) um, in the church in which I became a Christian, there was a, a wee ritual kind of developed. We would all sit along the back pew. Arnington Baptist Church was a kind of old church where you had wooden pews on either side, two aisles up the middle, and this big, long pew went down the middle. So all the young folks sat on on the, the very back pew at the back of the church. And at the end of that pew, one of the deacon's wives would sit. And every Sunday morning, as the minister stood up to preach, this lady would reach into her handbag and take out a handful of odd fellows now for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about odd fellows are a sort of hard sweet or a hard candy brightly coloured absolutely laced with cinnamon she would take one and then she would hand it to the person next to them and they would do the same. And that just happened all the way along the pew. And we used to joke about the miracle of the odd fellows because it didn't matter where there was four folk there or where there was 15. She just put her hand into the handbag, took out the odd fellows and started passing along and everybody got an odd fellow every single Sunday so as the sermon started, we all sat there sooking on these odd fellows with the smell of cinnamon going up like some kind of Baptist incense. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this morning that you should be nice and comfortable, that everybody should get an opportunity to have a sweet or have some candy as we as we come to the message this morning. So having got that out of the road, we'll come to the more. Make sure you include Duncan. Um, No man left behind. The rustle of papers. There's a song that said I hear the sound of rustling, but that's a different song, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So this morning, we are continuing our series um, in Ephesians. Uh, which Mark started um, last week. Uh, Mark started with just the the first two verses, the introduction. This week, I'm going to be looking at the next four verses. So, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Now, what I am going to do, though, this morning is I'm going to read a bit more than that. I'm going to read verses 3 through to 14, just to give the verses that I am going to speak about a wee bit of context. So Ephesians, although we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 6, we're going to read 3 through to 14. So let's read it together. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that the whole, that He richly poured out on us with our wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven And things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We pray that we would catch some of the sense of awe and wonder uh, that Paul has in these words as we think about what God the Father has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray now that the Holy Spirit would come, that He would do His work, which is to reveal all truth to us and to lead us into all righteousness. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we spend this time unpacking Your Word, that your word would be living and active and powerful, that your word, while it might challenge us, we pray that it would strengthen us, that it would encourage us, and we pray most of all that it would change us, that we would be a people who don't just read your word, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but scripture says that we would be doers of the word also, Heavenly Father. We pray that having read your written word, we pray that we would see the glory of God's word, the Logos, and we pray that we would be a people who put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever seen a a magician doing a a trick where he pulls a hanky maybe out of his pocket, or better still, he pulls it out of his seemingly empty hand, and as he pulls that hanky out of pocket or hanky. There's another hanky tied to it and he pulls that and there's another hanky tied to that and he just keeps going. And so you certainly end up with this big stream of what seems like a never ending bunch of of hankies. When Paul starts this letter having introduced himself and having introduced his leaders and giving them his custody um, greeting of grace and peace, Paul's Opening sentence, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens and Christ. That opening sentence becomes just the start of this entire letter that Paul is beginning to, to unpack and help us to understand exactly what has God the Father done for us in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And as he thinks about it, it's just like suddenly he's just triggered and there's just this flow of praise and thanksgiving as he thinks about it. He just said, you know, may grace and peace be with you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And suddenly out of that, there's just this stream of consciousness as he suddenly is just lost in praise and wonder and thanksgiving in what God has done for us Perhaps a better illustration than the one I started with, with the uh, with the idea of the, the magician and the never-ending hankies. Another commentator described these opening verses as being like the overture of an opera where all the successive melodies are about to follow. If you ever listened to a show... Um, a a musical or something like that, very often at the beginning, there is this overture where you start to hear all the different songs that you're going to hear in the the show. And that's what this person was describing this as, as being like. Just in the first four verses, God is referred to nine times. Jesus is referred to four times. And Many people see in the reference to the spiritual blessings that there's a reference to the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit's job is to impart spiritual blessings and spiritual power to us. Now, the Holy Spirit gets mentioned explicitly when we get to verses 13 and 14. But here's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit just referenced right at the very beginning of this letter. And like I said, I just, I love this idea that here's Paul just suddenly, he, we, we know uh, that Paul didn't write, hand write his own letters, he had a secretary to do it. And so there's just this fantastic picture that there's Paul sort of sitting there in his chair, kind of musing, and his secretary is suddenly going frantically, thinking, I wish somebody had invented shorthand, trying to catch all of these verses. Um... Just for, a, I want you to see the whole reading, a wee second. I know you can't read this, but there's the whole reading. And the reason why I want you to see the whole reading is because in the original Greek, that's one sentence, two hundred and fifty-seven words. That's it. There is literally it's a stream of consciousness from Paul as he tries to un. Get his readers right from the get go to understand the majesty, the power, the mercy, the love, the wisdom, the patience, the grace of God. No wonder our English translations struggle to, to translate and to punctuate this. It is, it's actually the second longest verse in the Bible. The first one is one of the genealogies, but that. It's just one sentence. And then Paul eventually takes a breath and we start to get into the rest of the rest of the letter. So Paul tells us that because we are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, he says we have received every spiritual blessing. Not just some spiritual blessings or a lot of spiritual blessings, but he says every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he wants to emphasize that there's spiritual blessings under the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when God was dealing with the people of Israel. The blessings of that covenant, that relationship between Israel and God, the blessings were mainly physical. God says, if you keep my commands, if you obey me, then I will bless you with things like Physical health, long life, an absence of war, an abundance of food, freedom from um, pestilence and natural disasters, famine and flood uh, and things like that. In the new covenant, when God is dealing with you and with me, when God is dealing with the church, and that's a big theme itself in Ephesians, under the new covenant, the blessings are spiritual. So, Things like acceptance, forgiveness, transformation. And as I said, as Paul reflects on those spiritual blessings, blessings that he will expand in his letter, the first blessing that comes to mind is what the, the idea of the fact that you and I as Christians are chosen by God. That you and I do not become a Christian by accident or by a one, but because God has chosen you. And for some of you this morning, that's really important for you to hear. Because some people are told that they're not wanted. Some people are told they're not needed. Some people are told that they are useless, that they will never amount to anything. And you need to know this morning, that's not how God sees you. That you are so important, you matter so much to God that God chose you. Now, this idea of being chosen, which is in verses 4 and 5, I think we've got that on the screen, says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and loved before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So, theologians, preachers, um, when we talk about God choosing people, we use the word election, and I know this morning I'm going to be careless, and I'm going to swap backwards and forwards between those two terms. So, every time I talk about being chosen, or every time I talk about election, it's it's the same thing. In the news just now, both here at home and in the States, there's a lot of talk about elections. You know, we we have elections all the time for different things. When you have an election, you're choosing someone, you're choosing a candidate. You might be choosing a councillor, you might be choosing an MP, you might be choosing someone for the House of Representatives or the Senate. In the States, you choose a president, we end up with a prime minister. But election is about the idea that we, we choose someone. and So that's why we talk in the Bible about, the, about election. And some Bible translations refer to Christians as being the elect. John, in his letters, calls Christians the elect. And as Mark pointed out last week, Paul very often refers to Christians as saints, as the holy ones. So election is a doctrine that can cause us all kinds of problems because of our limited understanding of God's ways. Sometimes people object to the idea of election on the the idea, well, if some are chosen, doesn't that mean that some are rejected? And I want to say to you this morning that actually, The question is not, why are some chosen and some are not? It's actually, it's the wrong question. The right question to ask is, why is anyone chosen? Because we need to remember that we do not deserve anything from a holy and sinless and perfect God. God did not create us because he was bored or because he was lonely. God created us out of love. But God, who knows the beginning from the end, also knew that the minute he created us, that was going to unravel. That God knew that instead of us enjoying the relationship of love that he created us for, that we would rebel, that we would disobey him. And God knew that in order to put that right, that it would lead to the sacrifice of his son on the cross. God Created us with that foreknowledge, with the willingness to accept that responsibility. But he didn't have to. But he did anyway. And so the fact that God forgives any of us is, like Paul, an opportunity for praise and thanksgiving, not for questioning the mercy and the wisdom of God. Another question that sometimes arises out of election, will you talk about God choosing me, but didn't I choose Christ in order to become a Christian? And indeed today, I am going to give people here and the people watching the, the live stream the opportunity to make a choice to ask Jesus to come into their life. But if these verses say that God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, then that means that it shows us before we ever existed. Let me try and illustrate it this way. Imagine you come to church one Sunday morning and somebody comes with a big box of sweeties (laughs) and says, have a sweetie and pass it on. Everybody gets an opportunity to make a choice. Some of you have taken a sweetie this morning. and I'm not God, and I don't know which one of you is before I got here and made that choice and who didn't. But I know that some of you have, because I heard the rattle of sweets. I know that some of you have taken a sweet. Some of you haven't. But the point is, every single one of you has got an opportunity to make a choice. But then, if I hadn't chosen to go and buy some sweets from the shop, if I hadn't chosen to put them in a box and if I hadn't chosen to bring them here this morning and hand them out, where's your choice? And so we only have a choice because God had made a choice beforehand. Or as the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. So the idea of God's choice and our choice isn't contradictory, they're complementary. One goes hand in hand. You can't have a choice without God having made a choice beforehand. So this morning, I want to suggest that there are four ways that we should respond to election, four ways in which we should respond to the idea that we have been chosen by God. And the first of these, and it'll be up on the screen, is that it should be humility. Yes, as I've said a minute ago, that the idea that we've been chosen by God should be one that should bless us and encourage us and make us appreciate God's love. But we also need to remember God did not choose us because somehow we were better than other people. You can't come... To Christ and ask for forgiveness unless we are aware of our sin, our failure, our disobedience, our rebellion and our utter inability to do anything about our condition. Except to throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of the Father expressed in the cross of Christ. So being chosen isn't something that should make us proud and puff us up and make us think, how great am I? As Paul constantly wants to point out it's about how great and how good is God. So we don't fully understand what, the, what was it that made God choose us. But the little glimpse that the Bible does give us about how God chooses people for salvation Shouldn't itself keep us humble. So, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31 says this, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many were powerful, not many of you of noble birth. Instead, And here's who God chose. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing To bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's what the Bible constantly reminds us. The fact that God has chosen us does not puff us up and does not make us look great, but it points to God and how great, how merciful he is. The second thing about election or the idea that God has chosen us is that it should give us a sense of assurance. And this is a really important one because one of the things I come across time and time again with Christians is, am I saved? What happens if I do such and such a thing will God be so angry with me that I can't be forgiven well again I want to remind you that the Bible says God chose us before the creation of the world there is nothing that you or I have done that God is not already aware of God knew everything that we did that was wrong before we became a Christian and um, God knows everything that we have done wrong ever since we became a Christian. And Here's the really, really wonderful bit. God knows everything that we are going to do wrong until he comes back. I said this before, you cannot surprise God. You cannot do something and God would look at you and go, I did not think that Andrew McBride was that kind of person. There are times when I have done things and I did not think I was that person. And that's when I need to remember, well, God knew that even when I didn't. And yet God still loves me. God has still accepted me because it's not about me. It's about him. It's always, always about him and never about me. And so we need to know that when we Come to God. When we think we have chosen him, we need to remember he has chosen us first and God will never, ever change his mind. And so that's why Jesus says that my sheep know my voice. This should be up on the screen. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. There's an important thing to remember. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I want to add, humbly, nor can you jump out of the Father's hand. Nothing, another part of Scripture says, is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There, it's always there again. God In Christ, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So therefore, when we come to God, we are saved. We are forgiven. We are accepted. And that will never, ever change. I just want to add, we need to be careful, therefore, that that sense of assurance that should give us confidence when we come before God, we need to be careful that it doesn't also make us careless or complacent because the third response to election or to calling is holiness. Again, the passage says, not only were we chosen before the foundation of the earth, it says that we were chosen to be holy and blameless before him in verse 4. And so a sign of that choosing, or a sign of that choosing, and that's going to be elaborated on as we get to the end of these first 14 verses. But a sign of that calling on, on our life is that God puts his Holy Spirit into our lives. And the Holy Spirit Sorry, the Spirit is most often called the Holy Spirit. And He's called the Holy Spirit for two reasons. First of all, because He is the Spirit of a holy God. Of course, He Himself is holy. But the other reason why He's called the Holy Spirit is because that is His work in us, to make us holy and blameless in love before God. And to be holy means itself two things. First of all, that it means to belong to God and to be used for his purpose. And that's why the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. And we as a church looked at this last year about the idea of the fact that every Christian, when we come to God, is given the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence of that, the Holy Spirit gives every believer at least one. And because God is not mean and stingy, usually more than one gift so that we can serve him. And I need to be careful not to wander off here, but again, here's this idea, God knew us before the creation of the world. God chose us despite our sin, despite our failings. The Bible also says somewhere in in Ephesians chapter two, you can tell I'm off my notes now. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two that he saved us And he created us to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So God called us, and as I said before, God didn't think, that's it, fine, I've got Andrew McBride, what am I going to do with him? Well, I think I'll make him useful for doing audiovisual stuff. Uh, I think I'll give him a gift of helping people. I'm a bit short of preachers, I might give him the gift of preaching. That's not how it works. God has given us particular gifts because he has a plan and a purpose for us to fulfill. It's not just that we are filling in for someone else or we are here to make up numbers. But again, God has called us and chosen us because he has a plan and a purpose for us to fulfill. And to do, and that's one of the great things about the Christian life, is we have a lifetime to discover what that is and what those gifts are. We have a team of young people here today, and that's what they are doing. They're exploring the gifts that God has given them, they're finding out what those gifts are and how to use them. And they and you, if you're not already aware of it, will find that as you go through life, sometimes you discover gifts that you didn't know you had. Or maybe you didn't actually have until that point in time. I'm not sure about this anymore. But I do know that there are, t- as we go through life, God uses for different purposes in different situations and different circumstances. And as those circumstances and situations change, sometimes the gifts that God gives us change, and new ones appear, and one of the ones perhaps become less prominent and less important or less used in our life. And that's one of the joys is the constant change and transformation of our lives as we go through our walk with God. So, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. Sorry, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts in order to make us useful to God and to serve him and to serve in his name. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is make us holy, which means to be free from sin, from evil, from deceit, just like God himself. And that's the reason why the Holy Spirit grows his fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness. I should write these things down not do this off the top of my head. That's okay. Thank you very much. I would. I knew. I thought it's it's like trying to it's like trying to name all the seven dwarfs. You cannot. <laughs> There's always one you forget when it comes to listing the fruits. Of the the, 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 uh, the fruits of the spirit. But again, not only are we chosen to be holy, to serve God, we are chosen to look like Jesus. That's one of the, we have, that we have, you know, every time, I've said it before, every time a child is born, and we're getting, thank you for all the sermon illustrations that parents are providing here. Every time a child is born, people look at that child and they say, is he like his mum? Is he like his dad? He's got his dad's eyes. He's got his dad's nose. He's got his mum's ears. We always look at how do our children look like our f- fathers. And strangely enough, although the Bible says that we are adopted, Holy Spirit does, still does that work. And we should still end up looking like our dad because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So the fact that we are chosen should create in us humility. It should give us a sense of assurance and confidence. And finally, fourthly, it should, as Paul's illustrated, it should be something that makes us respond in thanksgiving. If we really appreciate the mercy, the goodness, the generosity of God towards undeserving people, then that should result in grateful praise and thanksgiving, should it not, for what God the Father has done in Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, are we a worshipping, thankful people, not just on a Sunday, but the rest of the week? Do we actually stop and think, how good is God? How has God blessed me? And it might be, as Paul's thinking here, about these general blessings that God has given every single Christian. But do we pause sometimes and think, well, how's God actually blessed me specifically today and given thanks for those blessings as well? But more than that, it's not just that we should respond in worship and thanksgiving to God. If we surrender to the Holy Spirit, if we are letting the Holy Spirit make us holy and blameless as is God's will for us, then my question to you is, as the Holy Spirit does that work in us, shouldn't other people be able to see that holiness, that change, that transformation? And if other people can see that change, shouldn't that mean that they should be glorifying God because of what He's doing in us? That's why another one of the apostles, Peter, Says in his letter, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's a double edged meaning to the fact that the Bible says that we are to be holy and blameless. One is that means that when we stand before God, that we are blameless, that God can look at us and say that we are not guilty. But the other sense in which the Bible talks about us being blameless is that when people say things about us, when people accuse us of doing things, those accusations should be false. That not only in the eyes of God should we be blameless, but our conduct, our behavior, the way we speak, the way we treat people means that we should be blameless in the eyes of other people because they should not have a bad thing to say about us. So as the Holy Spirit works in us and changes us and transforms us, when people look at us, do they look at us and say, look at how that person, look at that person's faith. There's something about them. Do they look at us and say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to know more. Or do they look at us and say, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to know. That's the challenge when we recognize that we are called to be holy and blameless. That we should not only live in thanksgiving to God, but our life should bring thanksgiving and glory to God from the lips of other people. So today, I want to say to people in this room... You have an opportunity to make a choice which is far, far more important than just choosing a sweetie from a box. You have the opportunity this morning to choose to ask Christ to come into your life, whether you're here or whether you're online. If you are here, then then I would ask you to speak to me or to speak to Mark or TJ or speak to someone that that you feel that that you can trust and will listen to you. So that we can explain more about how it is that you can ask God to come into your life. If you're online, then you can contact the church through the website, through social media, through, through email. But today might be that opportunity when you discover for yourself that you have been chosen by God. And that God has given you that opportunity to choose Christ and receive his forgiveness. For those of us that have made that choice, then the challenge for you and for me is this. Do we respond to God and to God's choosing with humility, with assurance, with a desire for holiness, with a sense of thanksgiving and a sense of gratitude and a determination that we will live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it brings glory to God in the eyes of other people. If you've made that decision this morning, then you have an opportunity to come to this table and to take this bread and this wine, which is a symbol, a picture of Christ becoming a human being living a life like ours but without sin and giving himself for our forgiveness and for our salvation. If you haven't made that decision, then I need to say to you respectfully, this table is not for you just now, but it's there as a, as a witness and as a testimony to what God has done. And I do pray the day will come when you can come to this table. When, we finish our, when I finish and I hand over to Claire and Johnny, there will be an opportunity for you just to come to the table and to take the bread Take the wine and to recognise what God has done for you in Christ. Before we do that, let me finish with just one more wee thought. When you chose a sweet this morning, what did you do next? Well, hopefully you followed my instructions. I gave, the, I gave, the, I, I did see it happen. I gave the box to Ronnie. Ronnie did not just sit there and go like golem, mine. Everybody took a sweep and then handed the box to the person next to them so that they could get a chance to choose. So maybe this week, God is going to give you the opportunity to pass on the choice that you've made to someone else and give them the opportunity to make a choice and to recognize the goodness, the faithfulness, the mercy of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning that like Paul, that we will be humbled, that we will be overawed by what you have done for us, that we would be reminded that it is all about you, it's not about us, that you would receive the glory and the honor, that we would honor you in our lives by our behavior, by our attitudes, by how we speak, how we treat people, by the thoughts that are in our head that no one else knows except you. We pray that we would give you glory and honor in the eyes of other people who would see the difference that you make in us. That we would, again, be people who point to God and to how good and how powerful He is even today, Heavenly Father. And so we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.